Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Well, here we are at episode 17 of the I'm Still Learning podcast. I'm going to be spending the next few weeks going through the book of Philippians, which is a small book, but a very important book in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. But before we get into this study of Philippians, we need to determine who is the Apostle Paul? What is his story? Well, it's fascinating. I think you'll enjoy it. So today, I'm going to be investigating who is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul looms large over much of the New Testament. When we first meet him, he is a young Bible scholar who is passionate in his defense of what he understands as truth. He was a member of the Pharisees, who were the strictest denomination in Judaism, Notice I use the word denomination. It's probably not the most accurate word to use in this instance, but it is a term that we can all identify with today. Occasionally, I'm asked why there are so many denominations with the inference that there must be something wrong somewhere for there to be so many different ideas about what the Bible says. But these differing ideas and denominations are nothing new. Even before Jesus came, Different teachers found different ways of interpreting what the words of the prophets and the patriarchs meant to them, and they taught their interpretation. By the time Jesus arrived, the Jews had several different teachings, or sects as they are referred to, that differed on secondary issues, but agreed on the primary belief that the Lord our God is one God. They could discuss and argue about the things they differed on, but they all considered themselves Jews. It's a similar situation to what we have now. The denominations that agree that the Bible is the Word of God and that salvation is found in Jesus alone can disagree on secondary issues and how the church is to be governed and still agree that we are all Christian. So Paul, as a Pharisee, would have spent years in biblical study. He would have spent his time with other Pharisees and would have stayed away from non-Jews or Gentiles, lest they tainted him with their wrong ideas and lifestyles. But it was no easy life being a Pharisee. All of us like to know where we stand in relation to others in just about any pursuit in life. We like scoreboards and checklists. Tell me where I am in my progress and show me what I need to do to advance to the next level. Well, the Pharisees were really big on checklists. They took the Ten Commandments and improved on them. They had hundreds of rules that governed every aspect of life and policed those rules very aggressively. And Paul was an up-and-comer in this environment. He did his study, and he lived by the rules. He pointed out to others when they violated one of the rules. He had been taught by the most respected Pharisee teachers and was climbing the ladder of recognition with a real expectation of being one of the top Pharisees in time. We first meet Paul at an execution. 
At the time, he was going by his Jewish name, Saul. Later, when he began spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, he went by the Roman version of his name, Paul. So, in Acts chapter 7, a young deacon named Stephen had been brought before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish equivalent of the Supreme Court. Stephen had been declaring that the recently crucified Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He was accused of blasphemy, and he had his day in court. As his testimony neared its end, the members of the court could listen no more and dragged Stephen to the edge of town and killed him by hurling stones at him until he died. While this was going on, Saul looked on and helped out by holding the coats of those throwing stones, and he agreed completely with what was going on. You see, Saul felt that the message of salvation in Jesus was a dangerous message that was offensive to every belief that he held dear. He felt that those who were spreading this new teaching should be silenced and punished. He made it his mission to put down this new teaching by harassing and jailing anyone who was spreading it. He truly felt that he was protecting God's good name by persecuting the Jesus followers. But in the midst of this organized persecution of the church, the strangest thing happened. The church grew and its influence spread far and wide. If you think that any leader or government can shut down the church of Jesus Christ or lessen the impact of the message of the gospel, you should read Acts chapter 8. The church has always not only survived under persecution, but it has always become stronger in challenging times. Actually, the times that the church and the government have gotten cozy are the times that the church has lost its prophetic voice. Well, that's what happened at the time that Jesus came onto the scene. The Jews were under control of the Roman government. They had worked out a way to coexist. If the Jews would keep their people in line and not make waves, Rome would allow them to have their services and ceremonies. So when the Christ followers were declaring that Jesus is Lord, the Pharisees got concerned that the Roman government would hear about this and think that these Christians were going to attempt an overthrow of Caesar. They feared that Rome would then come down hard on the Jews and they would lose their negotiated status. So although the Pharisees studied the scriptures constantly and they could debate and discuss them for hours on end, they still felt that power and authority came to them through earthly governmental rule and not by the power and promise of God. They were waiting on a Messiah who would restore them to world superpower status. The message that Jesus taught that included loving your enemies and forgiving those who treat you badly didn't line up with their worldview. They didn't like Rome ruling over them, and they were waiting for their Messiah to overthrow Rome. But they liked having some authority and power under Rome and didn't want anything to happen that might threaten what they had going on. And Saul, a student of that mindset, was in full agreement, and he did his best to nip this new idea in the bud. He was on his way to the city of Damascus with letters that gave him authority to arrest Christ followers there and put them in prison. But that's not what happened. While nearing Damascus, the Lord appeared to Saul and called him out for what he was doing. He let Saul know that he was fighting against the plan of God. 
But God didn't interrupt Saul's mission to punish him. God interrupted Saul to put him on a new mission. God was calling Saul to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. Imagine that. God's plan was to use one of his most violent and committed opponents, whose life had been dedicated to protecting the traditional Jewish practices for the benefit of the Jews. And he was now being commissioned to take the name of Jesus, the name he had been working against, to the non-Jewish world. These were the people that Saul would have crossed the street to avoid even the possibility of brushing up next to. Only God can redeem a life like that. Paul lived the rest of his life working as passionately to spread the message of Jesus as he had formerly worked to shut that message down. He traveled the known world and planted many churches. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He encouraged, he instructed, he corrected, and he challenged the believers in the newly formed Christian churches. But he never forgot who he had been and how God's grace had saved him. He referred to himself as the worst of sinners. However, he didn't let who he used to be keep him from becoming who he could be in Christ. And that message is a good one for today. Don't let the memory of who you were before you met Christ hold you back from becoming the person he wants you to be today. You and I, like Paul, are trophies of God's grace. When you accepted salvation through faith in Jesus, your prior life and the sin it produced was forgiven. 2 Corinthians, which was one of the books written by Paul, gives us this encouragement. In chapter 5, verse 17, he tells us, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Paul never forgot that he was a blasphemer and a murderer. You might say that prior to his conversion, that he was a religious terrorist. But because of Christ, he became a man of grace and determination. He would not let anything stop him from sharing the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. And he encountered plenty of things that could have stopped him. You would think that someone who did all the good that Paul did after God changed his heart would have had a major influence on those he used to hang out with. They knew that he was a man of great intellect and passion, and if he suddenly did an about-face on an issue that had been central to his identity, maybe they should investigate and be open to having their minds changed as well. Well, that's not what happened. As soon as his message changed... They came at him hard. He was harassed. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He was shipwrecked. Ultimately, he was beheaded for spreading the gospel. But when you read the writings he left us, you don't hear the words of someone who is bitter. Never does he try to rally his followers to start an uprising. While in prison, he wrote letters of encouragement to the churches that he planted. He acknowledges his circumstances, and he misses his freedom, but he doesn't engage in diatribes over the way he has been treated. Instead, he lovingly encourages 
instructs, and issues correction to the churches. His letters are hopeful and joyful because he knows that as a follower of Christ, his citizenship is in heaven. Imagine having been beaten and imprisoned for a religious view and being able to write this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself with you. All of this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever. Wow. No whining. No demanding his rights. No call to violence. Just a strong faith in the belief that this life is not all there is. As I start digging into the writings of Paul, I hope that you too will be encouraged and that you will continually build your life with the perspective that Paul had in his letter to the church at Philippi, written while he was in prison, when he said, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I look forward to sharing with you some great things in the coming weeks. I hope you enjoyed this brief glimpse into the life of the Apostle Paul. Next week, I'll begin this deep dive into the book of Philippians. So you might want to read ahead and see a little bit of what this book is about. Until then, I'm your host, Randy Whitlow, and I appreciate you listening. If you've got comments or questions, please feel free to hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me at rbwhitlow.com at me.com. See you next week.